<laughs> oh, with the speed of light, with the thundering hoofbeats, that great horse, Silver himself, is on the scene. Bring it up there a little bit. Would you like to be able to look through walls? Just be invisible, you know, for about five minutes. Really make the scene big. Uh, how many of you ever send in a dime, you know, on the back of the books there, the back of the catalogs, where it says, kids, x-ray eyes, see-through walls with a special x-ray eye device, only 10 cents? Well, of course, there are a lot of ways that you get disillusioned in this world. <laughs> what would you do, run over again? You know, I don't know whether I should tell the awful time that the lady walked in the house when I was a kid. Oh, I better not tell that time. What do you mean? When I was running around, I'd gotten out of the bathtub and I was running around, I had no clothes on. And the lady from across the street, Mrs. Stryker, walked in the house. You don't want to hear about that, do you? Open the door. That was my mother. Oh, boy. <laughs> kids are very sensitive. You know. I don't know about people, but kids are. I don't know many people. I know a lot of kids. Right now, Lodge, you ought to work around this joint. More kids per square foot than you'd ever find this side of a playpen. In fact, they do call it, you know, sort of euphemistically down to the 23rd floor, the playpen. Are you aware of that? They do. Have you ever heard that? Jacques Beerman always calls it that. Well, are you in the playpen today? All right. Oh, yeah, this is old friendly Fred here. And um, and I, I, I've thought about telling that story. You know, somebody sent me a, a Dear Abby uh, a Dear Abby column, and the column says, Dear Abby, my experience with people who never knock but just walk in beats the one you had printed in your column recently. Back in 1947, we had a neighbor woman in Hammond, Indiana, who always walked into our house without knocking, and she'd walk into any room of the house the same way. She didn't know whether or not my husband was home. He traveled. So to make a long story short... She came into my house and went hunting for me in all the rooms. I happened to be out in the backyard emptying the garbage pail. Well, she walked into the bathroom just as my husband was stepping out of the bathtub. She fainted dead away, and when my husband went to catch her, he slipped back into the tub and busted his leg. The lady cracked her head on the doorknob and fractured her skull. I had to call two ambulances. Well, of course, uh, this is just a common, ordinary procedure in Hammond, Indiana. <laughs> People read that, I suppose. They say, oh, wow, how can that be? You know, they, they, people don't act. Let me tell you this. One time, I must have been about 10, the time I really got my hair curled. Oh, really? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I came home playing basketball or baseball or something, hot and sweaty, and I go into the shower, and I'm taking a shower, and nobody's home. And, you know, I'm hollering around in the shower and yelling, and the water's squirting down. And I hear the door bang out in the front, you know, in the, in the kitchen. I thought, well, you know, my mom, my, you know, mother type is home. That's all. I hear the door bang. And I'm yelling and hollering. And all of a sudden, I, I slam the door open. I say, hey, Ma! Hey, Ma! Did you bring me the candy bar? I rush out. There, my little old behind is dripping, you know, and I run out to the, in the living room there. And who do you think is sitting there but that... That very, very famous maiden lady in our neighborhood, Mrs. Stryker, <laughs> she'd come in. <laughs> oh, 
Oh man, is that a terrible feeling? I'll tell you, uh, uh, you know, especially when you're a kid. You know, kids are kids are unbelievably modest about things. You know, they they hide and they. Uh, oh, I remember kids. You know, they, they they even get they get get a little embarrassed when their shirt is off and that kind of stuff. And so I come rushing out. I you know I didn't even I didn't. She was sitting with her back to me on top of it. You know, I came running out. Hey, mom! Oh well, the water is squirting. And Mrs. Stryker took one look, and she just says, "Oh, is your mother home?" I, ah, no, my, and I turned around and out I went. <laughs> and what made it worse, she wouldn't leave. She just stayed sitting out there. She never once came and said, I'm sorry, or gee, I should have knocked, or anything like that. Just sat there. And about 15 minutes later, after I dried, and, I, and I'm waiting. Now, from that day on, I couldn't face her, you know, that kind of thing. I hid under the bushes whenever I'd see her coming down the street and all that. So this is Hammond, Indiana. You know, for those of you who are who are embarrassed, you might as well face it. We're all, you know, we're all the same underneath it. Well, aren't we friends? Well, aren't we? Well, what do you mean, for crying out loud? We must be. Come on now. Gee whiz. Now, oh, no, let's go. After you've gone. How would you like me to play my nose flute tonight, huh? You want to hear that? <laughs> You'll feel blue. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> you like me to sing, don't you, Skip? Or do you prefer my nose flute? Which is it? You like the kazoo, don't you? Which, would you like to hear me play the lonesomest instrument in the world? It is one of the least likable instruments in the world. And it is an instrument that is truly part of the Great Plains. Uh, it's truly... No, I, you, I'll just play it a cappella here first. It's truly part of the Great Plains, and uh, it, one of the most common sounds when I was about eight years old, you'd be walking down the street and you would hear this sound coming from behind a Sherwin-Williams paint sign, you know, the big sign with the bushes all around it and a bunch of garbage cans and a couple of old busted bicycle wheels, and in the middle of it all, you'd hear some kid going... Isn't that a sad sound? Isn't that a sad sound? When you stop to think of all the ways that man has devised to keep himself amused with music. Have you thought of all those ways? The kazoo. Listen to the simple sound of the kazoo. Isn't that somehow 
touching. And then there's the sound of the nose flute. This was also a common sound heard in the great Indiana Plains. Listen to this one now. And then, of course, there was the sound of the bones. I do not have a set of bones with me tonight, but all kids who were 12 years old had to know how to play all of those instruments to even be accepted socially. Nose flute, kazoo, jews harp, and bones. And then there were guys who were just plain thumpers. These were just thumpers. And uh, have you ever heard me? No, I, this is a very bad table for thumping. But uh, the way it was generally done, you would accompany yourself on, first of all, probably the kazoo. You would accompany yourself playing the kazoo on the bones. Now, I think, however, uh, probably the least likable of all the instruments of, of torture... Uh, the little solitary instruments for uh, keeping the human soul together as best it can be kept together was the Jew's harp, and uh, listen to listen to the sound of its of its of its melancholy minor. It's in a minor key. The sound of its melancholy note. Listen, it, the Jew's harp is played with the instrument placed against the front teeth, thusly. Is uh, is a typical uh, that by the way uh, is a uh, is a traditional fiddler's tune that was done uh, and is done constantly by uh, true cigar box fiddlers accompanied by a jews harp who incidentally rarely carries the melody. I was carrying the counter melody there, and he would play all around me with his fiddle. Uh, could you detect the the, the basic uh, the basic chord structure there or changes? And almost all of them are in a minor key. That's why this instrument is placed in a minor key, uh, because in general uh, most of the true folk music, most of the hillbilly music at least, uh, is sung in a minor key, and so this fits right in there. And <laughs> and, and it, it it isn't a bad instrument. I'll tell you, it's a very difficult one to learn, though, in case you're interested. Uh, it takes a great deal of control. Now, uh, any of you, uh, now I, I hope I'm not boring you here with this discussion of, of instruments of, uh, of the wilds out there. Now, there were several others, of course. There was the comb and the John paper uh, combination, which, uh, which found certain, uh, certain adherence, but it was not a particularly popular instrument. It was for girls and, and very small kids and guys at parties. This was not a serious instrument. Uh, among other instruments that I played, in case you are interested in them, uh, was a cigar box ukulele, or as uh, Arthur Godfrey would say, an ukulele. Now, <laughs> it only had two strings, though. And some night I'll have to bring one of them down here and play it for you. I can I can play the I can play the kazoo and accompany accompany myself on the two-string ukulele. Uh, 
And now, if you prefer, I, well, I'll tell you, at one point, I built, I built out of a, uh, these were the plans that came from uh, Popular Mechanics, and of course, everybody did it out there anyway. Uh, I built a rack out of a, a couple of wire coat hangers, which I soldered together, which went around my neck, which clamped down on my chest and went around my backbone. And on that rack, I had a kazoo soldered, see? So I could sit there and I could hold in my left hand my Jews harp. And soldered to the rack on my right was a C melody honer mouth organ. And I would play the mouth organ. And then I would go back to the Jews harp and then <laughs> you want to hear the rest of this. In my right hand, I carried a set of bones. And so the entire combination would go like mad, and I and, and uh, almost all the kids of the, of the would, would do this, you know, in one form or another. And uh, from time to time, I would make a big triumphal appearance at the PTA, uh, playing my Jews harp and playing playing the bones and the kazoo, uh, playing the harmonica, and from time to time, uh, playing the toy xylophone. Uh, the toy xylophone was also played, and you used to you used to occasionally accompany your work on the kazoo in that department. Speaking of kazoos, this is W O R A M and F M New York. It's all tissue paper and a yard wide. This whole outfit. And uh, listen to this great. I can I can I used to sit there and I used to make the NBC chimes all the time. You know. <laughs> do you want to hear the rest? Of you want to hear me play this thing? I I can play it. Uh, it's not an instrument that should be cl- uh, played a cappella. Uh, it should not be played a cappella. What angry calls already from Jews harp uh, uh, adherents? Want to hear more of it? Or do you want to hear more of it? Oh no no! Come on! I don't want to inflict that on you. After all, we we've got just a, uh, life is short enough without listening to the Jews harp. Although. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just just uh, playing around with it. I'm not playing it seriously here. Uh, although when when playing with a group or playing with uh, something, of course you don't often hear melody played on a jazz harp. So I don't want to be judged by that. Speaking of uh, speaking of kazoos and all the little cheap instruments of the world, would you please touch the money button there for me, Skip? Miller High Life, the bright, clear taste in beer. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. There's only one champagne of bottled beer. Sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Miller High Life. Brewed only in Milwaukee from a century-old recipe, Miller High Life has a rich heritage and tradition. A bright, clear taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in the familiar crystal clear bottle. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Yes, Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. I can uh, 
I wonder if Miller High Life would be interested in me accompanying their commercial on the Jews harp, the kazoo, and the bones. <laughs> I wish I had a good set of bones. I, I, I had my bones. I had a set of my bones stolen in the army. I had a terrific set. No. What are bones? Well, that's a very hard thing to describe. The, the pair of bones that I had were made out of ebony. Uh, they were good bones. And the bones are held uh, thusly. I, I wish I could show you. I can't. They're held between the, the fingers like this. And they're, they're, uh, they're kind of like an Indiana maracas, if you can, <laughs> if you can imagine. <laughs> uh, now, uh, I, I uh, you know, it's funny about uh, instruments like that. I remember the time, uh, I, I suppose, you know, I don't think I've ever told stories about this, and I don't know why. Uh, about about the terrible sense of inferiority that large numbers of kids feel because they can't do anything uh, musically and other kids can. Did you ever know a kid in your neighborhood uh, or, or in your group who could do something, really do something in the way of music? And there's always, you notice that there's always a vague sense of magic about a guy that can make music? I mean, even if he, even if he makes music badly, and, and even plays a real rotten piano, somehow that gives a very slight aura of something very special about that, that, that particular guy. I remember, I remember when I, I was in, in kindergarten. I wonder how many of you actually remember being in kindergarten. You know, memory is a very funny thing. And I'm constantly getting letters from people who, uh, who apparently don't, uh, never, never use their memory. They have very little chance to use it, uh, very little call to use it. And they seem to think that because you can use your memory and do use it, you must be a hundred years old. They somehow think that if you remember your kindergarten days, you either are faking it or you're a thousand years old, one or the other. I don't know why that is, but that, that, that always seems to come out. But do you recall the actual days in kindergarten? Or didn't you go to kindergarten? Well, the actual kindergarten days, uh, probably the way most memories work, is by scenes rather than by continuity. In short, you remember a specific scene in kindergarten, and you remember a specific moment in kindergarten or a specific day in third grade, or you might remember an incident that happened. And then there are probably are great areas in most people's lives that they don't remember a thing about. Absolutely, it's a blank, like, say, between uh, second grade and, and eighth grade. It's just a blank. It's a blank. If you say to them, well, do you remember your fifth grade teacher? They think for a long time. But you know, I'll guarantee you, anybody of normal intelligence, Skip, anybody of normal intelligence with a normal mind who has no mental problems of any particular nature, no particular neuroticisms, I can take any normal person and I can make him, I can, in, in a half an hour, I can make him clearly remember areas and periods in his life that he thought were gone forever. You know, I, I, had a, I, I was challenged one time about this because of various techniques that, that I have worked out personally. This is in opposition to, to Stanislavski. Uh, various sense and uh, memory uh, color techniques that I have worked out. I'll never forget one night uh, I was demonstrating this to somebody in an acting class. And I had a girl up on a stage in a little theater uh, just off Times Square, right, right in the heart of the Broadway district there on 46th Street. And I had this girl up on the stage, and, and, uh, and I said, all right, now, uh, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to remember 
close your eyes and relax for a minute and I want you to answer these questions and I want you to start remembering I want you to remember the first house that you can recall living in well she couldn't remember it she could not actually remember the first house uh, from the outside she remembers a few little details well within 15 minutes I had this girl not only remembering the house but the color of the kind of shoes she was wearing on the specific day that she remembered and within 10 minutes she had burst into tears and couldn't even continue <laughs> merely because a whole flood of things came back which had been buried had been dormant in her life for maybe 20 years uh, from the time she was about three or four or something like that and it just flooded right back and she couldn't take it she was uh, just completely broken up by it but then later on when I talked to her about it she said it was one of the greatest experiences she ever had because she really remembered something now uh, getting back to the idea of kindergarten I remember sitting in kindergarten one day now why I remember this is because of the of the thing that occurred we, we had a kindergarten teacher named Miss Bundy old Miss Bundy big fat Miss Bundy Miss Bundy looked like a like a load of watermelons being held very loosely in a gunny sack you know, she's a great big lady, and she had she had kind of crinkly hair. You know, some kind of ladies have crinkly hair with little curls all over it, and you could just see she was one of the type of ladies who spends a great deal of her time with her hair up in little pins, little things, and spraying it with little stuff. And a very precise lady, and the kind of lady who wore black shoes, you know, the very healthy type of shoes, uh, very sensible shoes with laces on them. And Miss Bundy was the kind of lady who never had any children of her own. She was always Miss Bundy. But the entire kindergarten class was her flock. They were her children. And she was like a mother hen. You know, she'd sit there clucking. And, and every day, they had, they had our, our kindergarten was in two sections. They had the morning section and the afternoon section. And uh, I was in the afternoon section, and immediately after we got there, which was at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, something like that, we'd be there about 10 minutes, and Miss Bundy would say, it's time for a nap. It's time for a nap. And uh, they would put up the cots, and all the kids would lie down for a nap. They'd pull down the shades. We all like, oh, I hated that. Wow. I mean, you know, that, that whole nap bit was, was a drag anyway. Now I'm laying there taking the nap. And then that fantastic day when Miss Bundy announced that we were going to organize a triangle band. Well, now, up to that point, I had been kind of lost. Uh, in kindergarten, you know, I didn't know many of the kids like most of the other kids in kindergarten. You just sort of fool around and you're kind of nervous with the kids and you know one or two kids and the rest of them you kind of stay clear of and you hide in the corner and once in a while you, you try to burrow under the sand and the sand pile to get away from everybody you know, and all that stuff. And I'd have to be dragged occasionally back to kindergarten screaming and yelling. Well, the day that Miss Bundy announced that we were going to have our triangle band was the day that, that, well, the whole thing turned over, you know, it went 180 degrees out of phase. Before that time, I had to be e forcibly ejected from the house to go to kindergarten, literally hurled right out. My mother grabbed me by the seat of the pants and by the back of the neck and literally throw me out in the street. Go to kindergarten and don't come back! You know, that kind of thing. Well, the day that she organized, Miss Bundy organized this band, uh, this uh, triangle band. Have you ever been in a triangle band, Skip? You know what they are? You know, with a triangle, with the little nails, the kids hitting with the nails, with the string, and they, they have the, the uh, oatmeal cans uh, that are with the round ones, you know, with the tops, with the string on them. They hit them for drums. Now the kid's got a little uh, a little uh, toy xylophone and a whole bit, and Miss Bundy is up there playing. Ba, 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 
Well, I, I became a mother oat can man. She gave me this mother oat can and said, go, man. And uh, she says, all you got to do is keep the beat. We and, and don't drag the beat, please. And so when she's going, I'm going, well, that was the wildest knocked out version of Pop Goes the Weasel. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, I really went for it. Well, then, then as we went on further into this scene, we began to expand. Do you have another one of those things in there? We'll get on with this thrilling saga of basic education in just one minute, friends. Speaking of basic education... Hello. Hello. Is this Klopman's Grocery? Oh, yes, ma'am. It doesn't sound like Klopman. Well, Mr. Klopman's waiting on a customer. I'm not a customer? Oh, yes, ma'am. He'll be right here. Who has time to wait for Klopman? You write down my order. I want two pounds of sausage. Uh Uh-huh. Two pounds of Parks' famous flavor sausage. Okay. What Parks? I didn't say Parks. Well, you want the best. I'll wait for Klopman. Only Parks' famous flavor sausage has such an extravagant blend of spices and seasonings. Such quality. Listen. Bring home the sausage, be a hero. Yes, bring home the sausage, P-A-R-K-S. Sausage to win ya, sausage that's braver, up from Virginia, Park's famous flavor, bring home more Park sausages, Mom. Listen, you got such a great product, why are you standing in a little corner grocery store singing on the telephone to a middle-aged housewife? We love you. Very bad tune. I can tell you that as an old experienced Jews heart player. Uh, do you want to, you want to try a chorus of China, China, Chinatown? Wait a minute. All right, very good. <laughs> could you could you recognize it? Listen. Okay, anytime you're ready in there, Dad. Let's go.
Okay, very good. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. <laughs> uh, just all kinds of little things, you know, we keep here. We have it. Huh? You like that? You haven't heard one of those in years? I'll tell you, they're not easy to play either. I know a guy that got the front end of his tongue cut right off, just terrible, in the middle of Swan Lake. <laughs> Could you recognize Chinatown? I haven't played this thing in a long time, and I'll, I'll get back in the groove, and, and by the middle of next week, I will be irritating everybody who's tuning in to 710 here, just completely out of, out of hand. But Miss Bundy started us along that trail. And uh, about the last half of the semester, Miss Bundy announced that anybody who could play any other instrument could bring it in, you know, instead of just the stuff we had with the triangle. And guess what I played? Well, there it is right here. Now, where did I learn to play this terrible instrument? Well, I'll have to tell you this. My Uncle Carl, uh, my Uncle Carl was a true member of the folk. He was a genuine, <laughs> I mean, he was a genuine basic man. Uh, he, he was the only man in my entire family who could take his teeth out. And, uh, of course, this gave him a certain amount of glamour. I, I remember old Uncle Carl sitting there, and once in a while, when he really wanted to break up a crowd, he would push his false teeth from behind with his tongue, you know. And they would, they would pop out, and they would grin. And then he would swallow them again. This was typical uh, Indiana-Chicago-type humor. And Uncle Carl played probably the greatest banjo in northern Indiana, without a question of a doubt. And he made his own banjos, by the way. He used to go, well, he didn't really make his own banjos, he covered them. He would go down and get a crummy old rotten $5 banjo from the pawn shop and refurbish it and cover it and, and make the strings himself and all that stuff. And he played a fantastic storm. Well, when I was about four or five, Uncle Carl, for one of my birthdays, I was about four or five, just before kindergarten, gave me, because he was always broke, Uncle Carl had no money whatsoever, but he gave me a Jew's harp for my birthday. Everybody else, you know, gave me stuff like bunny slippers and bath robes and, and birthday cakes and jigsaw puzzles and junk like that. And Uncle Carl gave me this beautiful piece. There it is. This is the kind of thing it was right here, just exactly like this. A beautiful lead. Uh, they're kind of like molded white metal or something. Beautiful lead magnificent tone and it was a fantastic 10 cent juice harp and and of course there it was I didn't know how to play this nobody uh, at that four or five you know none of the kids around the neighborhood played a juice harp and so Uncle Carl says now watch and I remember in the living room you know I've got this thing hey, wow what is this you know it's a funny thing and Uncle Carl he was the only guy I ever knew who could play a juice harp with a set of false choppers he was fantastic he'd play that juice harp you know Gow! Isn't that a strange sound? Now, a real Jews harp sound is a sound. Now, listen carefully. You can play. You can play uh, almost a full octave. Listen. Thank 
see. What else you want? <laughs> so old Uncle Carl taught me how to play this thing. And by the time I was five, my mother was out of her mind. I played I played the Jews harp and I played the, the uh, well, the, the nose flute. Now, where I got the nose flute was from my Uncle Tom who saw that I was a talented Jews harp player, and he gave me the nose flute. And so I graduated to this thing. <laughs> and, uh, and the day that Miss Bundy announced that we could bring in whatever instruments we played, a couple of kids brought in things like accordions, you know, there was all oh, sure there was always a five or six year old kid taking the accordion lesson down at the Bluebird uh, Accordion College. You know that kind of stuff, with this big accordion it was bigger than he was. And I came in with my nose flute and was an absolute. It was the first time in my life I was a complete total sensation. None of the kids in the entire class had ever seen a a nose flute, a, a genuine nose flute played by the nose. And, of course, a lot of people think I'm blowing a little penny whistle. Immediately, I'll get letters from people saying that. This is a nose flute. It is blown and played by the nose. And uh, it was originally a Polynesian instrument. And my Uncle Tom gave me the... <laughs> and and, and I, be, I was an immediate sensation. So we'd play... I, I began to play then melody. Uh, I graduated from the drums, and I'm playing melody now. Now, Miss now Miss Bundy is going. <laughs> well, when <laughs> and then I would play one chorus on the nose flute. I would lay it down, and then I would play one chorus on the juzar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and of course, uh, Miss Miss Bundy, Miss Bundy, of course, uh, uh, Miss Bundy was a moderately hip pop goes the weasel player, and she began to roll with it. And and by the time we were in our last month or so in kindergarten, we had unquestionably the swing in this triangle band in all of northern Indiana, stoned, yelling, hollering, drinking, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> all right, let's get our commercials out of the way here. Let's see. Uh, the first thing we got here is Peugeot. Now, where is my copy? Yeah, I'll read the copy right out of here. It says, one of the seven best-made cars in the world. According to J.R. Bond of Road and Track magazine, it ranks with the Rolls, the Mercedes, the Lancia, the Porsche, the Lincoln, and the Rover. It is a fine car, you know, all these copy points. And the steel in a Peugeot is twice as thick as that of any ordinary automobile on the road today. And the economy, you get from 25 to 30 miles to the gallon, and I can testify to that. It's got a built-in overdrive, and as a matter of fact, with the 403, you'll do better than that. Uh, I used to get uh, anywhere from 30 to 35 on the 403 that I drove for five years. And the lifespan, well, the oldest car still running in America is an 1891 Peugeot. And the price of a Peugeot 403 is 22.95. The 404 is 2645, and that includes up to 350 dollars worth of extras with sliding roofs and the whole business in there. Uh, it's a fine automobile, and I would recommend it without without any reservation. Personally, I drove one for five years, and I speak whereof I know. Uh, if you'd like to see one, they're at Manhattan Imported Cars at 2 East 46th Street just off 5th Avenue. That's right here in town. Of course, they have Peugeot dealers all around 
the, the area here. But if you are in Manhattan and you want to take a couple of minutes off from lunch, it's at 2 East 46th Street, Manhattan Imported Cars, just off 5th Avenue. Or if you'd like a free color brochure, pictures and so on, just send your name uh, to Peugeot here at WOR New York, and we'll take care of it. That's Peugeot, a superb French automobile. Now, let's see. We have uh, Hotel Bar Butter. Hotel Bar. What can you say about butter? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Can you imagine your first trip to Europe without seeing Paris? Anyway, Hotel Bar's Butter's marvelous flavor adds so much extra. It's good butter. That's what they're trying to say all the way down through the copy here. Hotel Bar Butter is no further away than your nearest supermarket. One of the great recommendations I can tell you about Hotel Bar Butter is the guy that makes it as a listener. Uh, patronize our home country friends. <laughs> That's the truth. Hotel Bar Butter. Uh, so insist on Hotel Bar Butter if you want to try an unusual new butter treat. According to the copy here, they have Hotel Bar Whipped Butter Bars. It says prove it to yourself today. Get fat and have fun while you're doing it. Uh, do you have another little whoopee in there? Hit the button there, please. <laughs> Light up a Kent, you've got a good thing going. Light up a Kent, for real good taste. Light up a Kent, you've got a good thing going. Good tobaccos, the Kent's filter for good taste going. When you light up a Kent. Light up a Kent, and you've got a good thing going. Good taste, the mild, mellow taste of Kent's vintage tobaccos, flavor blended for good taste. And the Kent filter for extra good taste. Light up the Kent, you got a good thing going. Light up the Kent for real good taste. Light up the Kent, you got a good thing going. Good tobacco, the Kent filter for good taste going. When you light up the Kent, you got a good thing going. When you light up the Kent, light up the Kent, light up the Kent. Oh come on, you're not kidding, are you? You mean some old lady called in and she was she said I'm prejudiced because I play a Jew's harp? Oh come on, now she's being funny. Well, she doesn't like the name of the instrument, is that it? Or she doesn't like the way I play it? Both, I see. Well, little old lady, you'll find WPAT is a very friendly station for you. They do not play Jew's harps on that station. <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> and if they do, they play them very well. I'm sorry, old lady, you're not going to get me fired. It's too late for that. What I've got on them here, they can never do it. Well, let's see. Uh, what do we have? <laughs> we have uh, uh, we have the auto show here. One more comment about the auto show. If you haven't gone down to the auto show, I suggest you get down there soon. This is uh, uh, probably the biggest auto show that we've ever had in this country. You know, I'll tell you this. It's the first time I've ever been in the Coliseum and have been unable to move. There have been so many people there. I never saw anything like it in my life. It's fantastic crowds down there. And while you're there, look at the Peugeot exhibit, of course. Uh, this is the auto show at the Coliseum, and they're there through Sunday. They've got, boy, did you see those Ferraris there? The Maserati. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> they've, got, they've got probably, I'd like to know, just a, uh, at an off glance, just looking at this thing, I'm curious to know how much money is tied up in the automobiles that are under the roof right now at the Coliseum. Oh, it's un uh, just unbelievable. I I've never seen a, a more wild collection of lush automobiles in my life. Uh, there, there are at least four Rolls Royces there. Uh, 
Uh, the minimum of that particular group of rolls is, I think, the, the, the cheapest one they have on display there is about $18,000. They have a $37,000 rolls, a fantastic collection of cars. You know, uh, uh, we're, we're really moving into a very strange era in our time. I mean, a, a, a strange time. We're coming into a, uh, a peculiarly... Uh, it's like a sinkhole. Have you ever gone out on a beach... No, I'm serious. I'm not. I'm being. Uh, I'm being very. <laughs> I'm not being funny. Have you ever gone on the beach and you walk out in the water, and all of a sudden you hit a place where the water unaccountably is very cold, and it's been warm all around it. It's very cold, and maybe you walk a little bit further, and suddenly you'll 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 step into a deep hole, a little hole, and poop, and you're back up, and then the the uh, the bottom goes out normally from that point on. Well, we're in a very strange period right now, and I don't mean the broad period. I mean right this minute. It's very odd. Uh, I, I, uh, I would never have thought that I would see the day when at an international automobile show, one of the big exhibits, Skip, is a manufacturer, in fact, two manufacturers, making automobiles, and they really are making them with the original dyes and the original parts in some cases, making automobiles that were built in the mid-1930s and selling them at fabulous prices. This is a fascinating thing.